Hi, I'm Sasha. I'm a senior software engineer at LinkedIn working on machine learning infrastructure. Uh, I like uh, cappuccino uh, in the morning and espresso uh, in the afternoon, and I roast my own beans. Uh, I'm Rupesh Gupta. I am a senior staff engineer at LinkedIn. Uh, I work on the search and recommender systems at LinkedIn, and I like my coffee with milk. So, welcome back to another MLOps Community Podcast. I'm your host, Demetrius, and today I am with none other than the incredible Skyler. And we were just talking about tiny houses because, Skyler, you're living in a tiny house these days, man. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. It's amazing. I, uh, I think I'm going to do more of it. And everyone is probably thinking, I thought we just tuned into the MLOps community podcast, not a tiny home one, but we wanted to chit chat about a little tiny house before we jump into the greatest LinkedIn podcast ever. I ended up talking for like another hour with our guests after you left, Skylar, you bailed early. Wow. And then I, I got all the information on how the newsfeed works and how to kill the algorithm and get all the followers <laughs> that I need. But that is uh, something that is only privy to myself, and I cannot share that with you right now. Anyway, do you have any key takeaways uh, from this chat that we just had? Yeah, I really loved you know how much they focused on making it easy to add real time features. You know, I think like talking about uh, real time has uh, been really kind of in the zeitgeist of machine learning recently. I think. Starting from Chip's great post, uh, you know, machine learning is going real time. You're not ready. And she's right. You know, like no one is really ready. And like part of the problem is like most of the time, real time features are going to be helpful. But mm. it's so hard to get real time features that just nobody does them. Um, so it's really cool to hear about how Sasha uh, had kind of like worked through that. Dude, that's crazy that you're saying that to me because... I look at you as one of the people that is skeptical of real time and its uses and using it all over the place. Am I mistaken in that view? I, I, I'm a skeptic on most things. And I think, you know, I think I, I think it's part, part of the problem be. is that like real time features are take a lot of effort. And so you can toil away to, you know, get real time features added in. And probably all the time you spent doing that was time you didn't spend like getting the low hanging fruit. I just think most of the time there's like a lot more low hanging fruit. Getting to real time probably is like a level of maturity in machine learning that most people aren't at. But hey, you know, I think if there's somebody that builds some infrastructure that just makes this dumb, simple, easy, and you don't have to think about the real time nature of it and you can just do it, make everything real time. Do it. <laughs> Oh my God, I never thought I was going to hear that from you, man. It's like you've changed sides. What is this? Somebody paid you off in the background. Something happened. Yeah, you know, it, it must have been Sasha, you know, uh, yeah. just seeing him smile again and uh, <laughs> switch sides. <laughs> and for people that do not know, you were working with Sasha back in the day at LinkedIn. So this is a nice mm -hmm. little reunion that you had. And for me, I really enjoyed when they were talking about how, as you're looking at the newsfeed of LinkedIn, they're trying to balance out what you're looking for and what you're engaged in now versus that long-term engagement. And so that was a nice little problem that they got into. And if you yeah. look at your newsfeed, you do notice that sometimes certain people's news feeds have... <laughs> Did I say nude feeds? So yeah. <laughs> certain people's nude. Well, let's see if I can get words out here and make this happen. Their news feeds have things like, oh, this person liked whatever, or here's an event, or here's an update from a company. And there's so many different ways that you can interact with LinkedIn. And then on top of that, layer in job posts. And so if you like job posts or if you're seen to be liking job posts, there is that problem of, are you liking the job post because you're looking for a job? Is it because you just want to amplify it because you know the person that is trying to hire? Or are you just into hearing about job posts all the time? 
So with that, I thought it was fascinating to counter the two, the idea of your short-term wants and those long-term wants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's a super hard problem to solve. Yeah. So very interesting to dive into the details around that. So while you're in your little tiny house and I'm in Europe, so basically in a tiny house, because as we said, everything is smaller here compared to the US, even the roads. <laughs> I mean, it's a whole different ballgame, man. When I was here, I was telling you, I got really into just a little tiny house tangent before we jump into the actual conversation. I got really into the idea of how to maximize the space and every square inch of your house and how you can set up different things. And so I converted, we had, when I was living in Spain, we had a dishwasher and we converted that into a storage place because we never use the dishwasher. So instead of having this dishwasher take up space in the apartment rental, we made it into a storage unit. And those are the things you got to do. I see a microwave behind you and I'm super surprised that you have a microwave in a tiny house because I feel like that's something- This that has a full kitchen. Like they did stove, skip like on the everything. tiny house, yeah. huh? Yeah, it is tiny, but it is powerful. <laughs> and I imagine anybody else that is into the tiny house movement knows the guy that owns this house that Skylar is in right now. He's kind of famous on YouTube. So yeah. that's a funny one that we found out. Anyway, let's get into this conversation with the LinkedIn crew. And if anyone out there wants to join us in the MLOps community, we're doing all kinds of cool stuff. We got done with a hackathon recently. We've also got lots of newsletters. We've got so much going on in real life meetups. Skylar, you're doing in real life stuff in LA, right? Yep. Yeah. Come join us out in LA, even though you'll probably have to drive an hour to meet us. <laughs> Living in the same city. Uh, so yeah. And if you enjoy this podcast, it would mean the world to us if you shared it with one friend that you think would also enjoy this. Without further ado, let's jump into the conversation. So I don't even, uh, you know where I want to start? <laughs> I mean, this is a LinkedIn reunion. Skylar's here. Rupesh, you and Sasha both used to work with Skylar. What's changed since he is not at LinkedIn for the better or worse, whatever you want to go with? <laughs> well, so if I remember the uh, the meeting Skylar and I had like a few feet from where I sit, um, that was like in a different life in a sense that that was before COVID. Mm -hmm. Right. And, uh, and uh, that's that kind of changed and that impacted our life. But uh, uh, it is slow, slowly getting back to normal. Uh, you see more and more uh, people on campus. Skylar, when you are in the Bay Area, feel free to, you know, jump for, for, for lunch and uh, see, yeah. see for yourself. Yeah, that'd be great. And on the organizational side, I know you guys released Feather and we were laughing about that before we hit record, that that probably would have made Skylar's life a little bit easier. Uh, anything <laughs> else that happened since he's been gone? We, so, so what we're going to talk about, uh, the whole real-time features, uh, FedEx real-time uh, would have definitely made Skylar's life better. So yeah. we'll... Oh. <laughs> Uh, we'll so you waited till that. he was gone. And, and there's <laughs> yeah. more coming if you, uh, so we're, we're working on um, kind of, a, uh, I'm, I'm, I'll use a bit of a slang here, like post-Quasar world uh, right now. So, oh, okay. So that sounds very attractive to me. <laughs> yeah, so that, that probably uh, could, be, uh, could be topic for, for another conversation. Yeah. At, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, let's talk about this real-time stuff because... Uh, this is one thing that I have to, I got a little beef with LinkedIn when I try and tag people. It has a really hard time recommending who I should be tagging, even though I'm replying to a LinkedIn like comment and 
and I'm trying to add the person who wrote the post, but then it doesn't automatically pop up with that person, even though I write their whole name. What's going on? Why is it so hard? What are you guys dealing with behind the scenes that I don't understand? I guess Rupesh would know all, all about it. Yeah, so um, let me just first set some context. Uh, so these days, as you might know, there is a lot of information that is floating around on the internet. And uh, most of us have been relying on uh, search and recommender systems uh, to sift through all this information and present the most relevant information to us. And this is one of the types of information that you just mentioned. Uh, and now in order to serve the most relevant information to a user, uh, these recommender systems uh, typically need to know the intent and preference of that user. Uh, and usually, uh, no one is going to explicitly state their intent and preference, uh, and the recommender system would need to infer uh, the intent and preference of the user based on the actions uh, that the user has performed in the recent past. Uh, for example, uh, if I apply for web developer jobs in San Francisco, uh, then I'm probably intending to find a job. Uh, and my preference is web developer positions in San Francisco. So intent is what I'm trying to accomplish, and my preference is the preferred way of accomplishing that intent. Uh, now, traditionally, uh, there is a delay between when a user takes an action uh, and when it can be leveraged to adapt recommendations for that user. And this is because user uh, activity uh, is typically processed periodically into features in a batch environment uh, and then made available to recommender systems. So depending on the frequency of these batch jobs, uh, there can be a delay of anywhere between a few hours to even days uh, between when a member takes an action uh... and then that action can be leveraged in recommender systems. Uh, so. Uh, the outcome of this is that a recommender system might not be able to serve the most relevant recommendations to you uh, based on your current intent and preferences. Uh, so for example, uh, let's say that in the past, I've always applied for web developer jobs in San Francisco. Uh, but today, I might start searching for uh, jobs in New York. Uh, and this or in LA. Sorry? Or in LA. Oh, yes, yes. And this can reflect uh, a change in my preference. Uh, but until this change is detected by the recommender systems, uh, I might not see the most relevant recommendations. Uh, for example, a content recommender might still continue to recommend me content about, say, the developer job market in San Francisco instead of New York. So uh, the goal, the ultimate goal is to reduce the delay between when the user takes an action and when it can be leveraged uh, in the recommender systems to adapt recommendations. And we know that if this delay is small, then the recommendations for the user can actually be adapted in real time. So I, I want to preface something. <laughs> Sasha's been looking at your LinkedIn. Skylar, are you looking for a job in LA? He knows what's going on behind the scenes. <laughs> <laughs> Skylar hasn't even told anybody and Sasha's like, oh, you're looking for a job like in LA. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, but one thing I realized is that I may have come out a little hot on you, Rupesh. I did not properly state that I am a power user and lover of LinkedIn and have been for the last like three years. So uh, <laughs> anybody that doesn't know and would think that I am trying to take some shots at you, I just love LinkedIn so much. And I see where there's those little tweaks that I, uh, I sometimes am like, ah, why doesn't this work? Like I, I wish it would, but I know and, Skylar wanted to jump in with something too. Yeah. Yeah. Now that you drop that in, I'm sure PR is going to approve this Demetrius. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. I, I, yeah. Um, I, I think feedback is most valuable from um, you know users with experience. So it's uh, it's uh, super valuable uh, uh, to feedback from people. Yeah. Sorry. Go, uh, go on. Yeah. 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 Uh, but yeah, Rupesh, you gave a lot of great uh, information about how uh, more recent information can be useful, uh, sort of in models. But 
you know, something I'm very interested in diving into a little bit more detail around is like, how do you actually, what, what is like the, the technical details behind how you actually like get that more recent information integrated into these models? Yeah. So there are uh, several ways of doing this, uh, but the most common approach is to compute features from the recent actions of your user uh, and then use these features in a machine learned model. Uh, and there can be several ways, again, for computing features from recent actions of a user. Uh, but the most common approach uh, is to summarize the information uh, that is contained within these actions that a user has taken in the past into a number uh, or a vector of numbers. So a number could be like a float or a double feature. And a vector of numbers could be an embedding type of features. Uh, so to give you a more concrete example, let's say we look at all the job apply actions uh, that are performed by a user in the past 24 hours. Uh, and then we can get the embedding, which is a vector that represents uh, a job uh, for each of these jobs that the user has applied to. And then just compute an average uh, of all the embeddings uh, that we have obtained for these jobs. Uh, and this feature, which is uh, a vector of numbers, is nothing but a representation of the kind of jobs that this user has preferred in the last 24 hours. And as another example, a feature could be as simple as uh, the number of times this user has applied to jobs in San Francisco in the last 24 hours, or the number of times this user has applied to jobs in New York in the last 24 hours. Uh, and there's actually a blog post on this uh, that we have co-authored with our colleague, Benjamin Lee, who is an expert in the job recommender at LinkedIn. Uh, yeah. That goes into a lot more detail about how exactly we take the recent activity of a user and process it into features. Yeah. Can, can I put this uh, in, in the show notes? The, the link? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. That'd be great. Yeah. So... You know, uh, that's a lot of great detail on uh, sort of uh, how these work. And I think something that's like uh, maybe uh, might be implicit, but I'm curious to dig into a little bit more detail. You talk about sort of taking the various like actions that somebody might take and somehow summarizing it into number, vector, et cetera. Um, is that particularly to deal with the, the sparseness of actions or do you think that the action space is like, like it, how useful is it to kind of like summarize it with a, an embedding vector versus just like counting how many times the action occurred? Like, well, yeah. what is the value that the, the embedding is bringing? Yeah. So uh, ideally we would like to take an action uh, uh, as an actor, verb, an object tuple. For example, I applied for job X or you applied for job Y. Um, and then look at all these tuples of actor, verb, object, uh, that have occurred in the past, say, 24 hours, and then try to use these as features somehow in a model. But using these directly in a model might not be uh, that trivial. So typically, we would need to do some sort of summarization operation in order to condense this information into a few numbers so that it's easy for the model to learn uh, the weight that needs to be assigned uh, to the information that is encoded in these recent actions. So, and uh, of course, uh, vector representation is going to be better than a numeric representation uh, just because more information can be encoded in a vector compared to a number. My name's Adam Strucker, and I'm Head of Machine Learning Engineering at Origami Energy here in the UK. And I'm bothering you today to recommend you subscribe to the MLOps Community Podcast to keep up to date with a lot of the brilliant goings on within the community and get a glimpse at what some of the greatest minds across the MLOps space are up to. So there is one thing that I think we should probably explain or parse out too, as we start to get into the idea of real time. Real time has a lot of different meanings for people. I've even heard some people say like real, real time or things like that. Uh, what exactly do you mean, Sasha, when you're talking about real time? What does that look like for you? Right. So, so yeah, you're right. There's uh, the real time systems and uh, there's, there's a real time inference and uh, there's a lot of other things. So uh, here, in, in particular, in this uh, discussion, we're talking about 
uh, real-time uh, uh, or near real-time generation of feature values. So what uh, what Rupesh was talking about when we are um, aggregating the, uh, the the events of the the users that have done in the recent recent time and uh, do 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 it in near real time. So near real time, uh, approximately, you can think about like seconds to minutes. That's uh, that's the, uh, uh, the the time range that of the events we're talking about. So so this is usually happens uh, in in uh, uh, streaming systems uh, somewhere. Um, this is uh, quite different from real-time inference, which is which talks about uh, milliseconds, and uh, that's that could be topic for different discussion. Or real-time systems like robotics and self-driving cars, definitely. So yeah, so we are we're talking about real-time futures here. Mm. Near yeah, real-time future generation. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for the the clarification. Good, good call, Demetrius. Uh, you know, one thing I'm curious about is uh, from everything we've talked about, it sounds like there is a lot of complexity maybe into like actually supporting these kinds of real time features. Uh, just curious, like, uh, are these always worth that effort? Uh, are these always helpful? So uh, I am, of course, tempted to say yes. And in general, that is the answer to your question. Uh, but the reality is that uh, we should consider adding these real time features. Uh, to only those recommender systems that are already well optimized. Uh, in other words, uh, we should first focus on harvesting the low-hanging fruit, uh, like optimizing the model structure or optimizing the set of batch computed features uh, before we start considering adding these real-time features. Uh, and uh, one thing that I would like to point out is just like, like, just like any other feature uh, in a model, uh, not every single real-time feature is going to be useful. Uh, and since it can be non-trivial to add real-time features, uh, we typically need to have some sort of a framework uh, for deciding what real-time features to add. Uh, and from our experience uh, at LinkedIn, we have seen that real-time versions of important uh, batch-computed features are usually useful. Uh, for instance, uh, let's say that you have a recommender system uh, that is currently leveraging batch computed features in the model for recommending jobs. Uh, and let's say that we already know that the average um, uh, the average embedding of all the jobs uh, that a user has applied to in the previous day is, let's say, the most or one of the most important features of the model. Then uh, we should try consider uh, uh, adding the real-time version of this feature, which would be the average embedding of all the jobs that the user has applied to in the current day or the current hour or the current minute as a feature. Uh, and also, by the way, uh, I would like to mention that these uh, real-time features should always complement the existing batch computer features. They should not replace them. Uh, for example, uh, we can get the average embedding of all the jobs that the user applied to in the current day uh, from our real-time feature pipeline, uh, but we should still try to get the average embedding of all the jobs that the user applied to in the previous day through our batch pipeline. Uh, or previous month. Yeah. Yes. Can I, I would love to unpack that a little bit. You know, that, that's interesting. So, like, can you just dive into like why is it why is that important? Um, so, if I if I know like, hey, these are the jobs I've been applying to today. Why is it important for the models to understand these are the jobs you applied to over the last month? So um, typically, like we need to achieve a good balance between the long-term intent of the user and the short-term intent of the user. Uh, jobs is probably not the right example, but let me talk about the content recommender. So let's say uh, my long-term intent is to be more educated about AI. But in the short term, I might be more interested in knowing about, say, coronavirus or some vaccine for coronavirus. So in that case, the recommender systems need to know what my short-term intent is, which is uh, gain information about coronavirus, but also balance that with my long-term intent of gaining more information about AI. So if the recommender system is able to differentiate my long-term intent uh, and my short-term intent, then it's able to strike a balance between these two intents. Uh, and one way to identify my short-term and long-term intent 
and be able to dis differentiate or discriminate between these two is to have different sets of features that represent my short-term and long-term intents. Hmm. There's also this thing that uh, uh, you know, users with more history, like uh, power users, like Dimitris, right? So they uh, could be uh, they could be uh, good information about their long-term intent, but for more fresh users. Uh, there's not such information, so all you have is like uh, what they did right now. And then when they come here for the site to check it out, and uh, uh, you know, just just uh, uh, try, trying to uh, see what's uh, what's going on, we if we are able to provide them useful information at that moment, uh, that is uh, that is very very important to uh, to uh, to keep them you know using continue using the service. Oh man, I got so many questions that I know will never make it through PR on the system that you use for content, but I'm going to ask them anyway, <laughs> because I just got to know, I got to up my influencer status on LinkedIn, you know, and I'm wow. trying to figure out how to get paid by <laughs> posting a few things on LinkedIn every day. Uh, and so if you could just help me understand the algorithm that can make me go more viral, I will be so appreciative and uh, I'll give you a cut of any kind of sponsorship deals I get. <laughs> anyway, now, um, <laughs> in all honesty, one thing that I, I think about is we talk about the idea of real time and this like the real time features are something that is complex and it is very difficult and we hear stories and i think one one thing that i like to see on linkedin are stories of different companies that have made that transition i think we mentioned before we started recording instacart put out an incredible blog post on how they did that what for you all why is it that it is hard to do these real-time features. Maybe we can go a little bit into history. So when I uh, joined uh, LinkedIn uh, uh, in 2020, a few, few weeks before, uh, before COVID. Um, so uh, it was one of the, uh, one of the things I, I want to work on, uh, real-time uh, features. So people um, mentioned that to me and I looked into it and it, it wasn't really clear uh, what what was the impact of that, and uh, the, the our ability to to uh, uh, to figure out the impact from that was uh, wasn't wasn't clear, and it was uh, uh, on the other hand, uh, we had some some examples of uh, features working in this, and and we knew that that was hard. So basically, this like uh, price price performance or return on investment wasn't clear, but then we had a few conversations with Rupesh. And uh, um, we uh, we found some some interesting use cases that we wanted to look at, and it started looking more more interesting, like the uh, the fact that 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 we could we, we could work in this direction, and that's how we we got going. So so even even then it was it wasn't really clear should we do it or, or should we do it and or should we go through this whole uh, whole whole process of doing it. And then uh, when we started, we uh, we we did it in uh, in a kind of gradual uh, manner. So we knew some some things that that were previously before. So there was uh, Samsa before. Samsa is a streaming uh, processor that was uh, created in LinkedIn uh, some uh, twenty fifteen maybe. Um, maybe even before that by by the people who created uh, Kafka. Uh, and uh, uh, and there were uh, there were some processors uh, that people already did for uh, for real time features, and they had some uh, success. But on the other hand, uh, it was really hard for uh, machine learning engineers to run those um, those processors. And we can go go into more detail of that. But but it was uh, it, it was hard. So so we we tried to figure out a way how do we kind of reach this balance between. Um, how hard is it, and what's what's the impact? And we uh, figured out uh, one of the ways to do that uh, via um, via Pino. So Pino is uh, yet another system uh, um, developed at LinkedIn. Uh, that's um, 
that's a, a low latency analytic system. So basically you collect events into some sort of a store, some sort of an index, and then there's a system that um, is able to aggregate those events and run certain queries on that and, and produce that uh, and, and uh, give results. So for example, uh, when Dimitri is, uh, is on the website uh, looking for like a views to his content or, or views to his profile, so there are graphs. So these graphs are powered by, uh, by, by Pino. And there, there are real time, so um, meaning that there's there's real information that that is behind, and and uh, this information is created on the fly. There's no like caching or pre uh, pre pre compilation or something. So that system was there, and uh, we uh, uh, we looked into uh, what what is able, uh, what we we'll, will be able to do with this system, like uh, what what features we'll be able to do with the system. And uh, we, we started with uh, several use cases. Uh, and uh, one of those uh, use cases uh, kind of uh, went into production and uh, had some, some results. That's, uh, that, was, uh, that was job in Benix, right, right Rupesh? Yeah. Yeah, so, so, um, so th that kind of gave the whole, uh, like the, the fact that there was a, uh, there were results, there, were, there was a business impact uh, that gave people confidence that we should continue going in this direction. And that's how we uh, uh, were able to continue uh, in, in, in like a bigger effort uh, that, uh, that we call now, yeah, a, internal name is FedEx real time, but, but I, I guess that would be called uh, Feather real time right now. Uh, <laughs> so we, we started this effort to uh, to uh, create um, real time processors uh, based on SAMHSA. So, so that's I, a, I mean, yeah. But. Sorry to interrupt. I'm going to sound really ignorant right now, but I had no idea a Kafka came from LinkedIn and b Pinot came from LinkedIn, which are we did a whole system design review on Pinterest and how they're using Pinot. And it's so cool to see that. It's so, it's just like mind blowing to hear about that. It's like, I, uh, I just found out that Santa Claus is real. <laughs> and so, sorry, go ahead, Sasha. I cut you off, man. Keep going though. <laughs> no worries. So yeah, Kafka was created uh, uh, at LinkedIn and, and uh, Confluent uh, was started by Jay Krebs. Uh, 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 and and two other people are from the Kafka team for uh, at LinkedIn, um, and uh, yeah, that's 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 a huge part of uh, infrastructure everywhere. Um, and uh, Pino is uh, uh, actually also the uh, they recently started started a company Kishore Gopal Krishna who was uh, working on it at LinkedIn. He, he started a company called Startree, and uh, they're they're doing like uh, they're turning this into into good business. So that's. Uh, um, that's also uh, a thing. So um, yeah, so so hard. So so we had some success with uh, uh, with uh, uh, Pinot-based solutions, uh, but it had some limitations as well. Uh, the limitations were mainly in in the amount of like how much data you need uh, you, you need to process in order to aggregate. So for example, if you are interested in a particular member. Uh, actions of particular member that would be maybe dozens or at, at most hundreds. I don't know. In, in your case, the measure is probably thousands, but but uh, and for most uh, uh, people, it's less. Um, it, it is it is quite possible to kind of organize them, partition them in a way that uh, access and aggregation of this um, data will be fast enough. However, if we are trying to do this for um, things like jobs or content, then the amount of events that we need to aggregate is uh, is much much bigger. So it's uh, thousands, tens of thousands, if not millions, right? In this case, uh, Pino shows uh, um, uh, so so we 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 do something else, and uh, for that uh, we need to go back to like pre-computing idea, and pre-computing idea is uh, you run SAMSA processor. Uh, which processes event uh, as they come, and it knows for each event. For example, that's uh, that's the event that uh, Demetrius uh, viewed this particular 
a piece of content, right? So it looks at it and says, okay, what are the features that in, are impacted at this? So it has, uh, in, in our situation, it has uh, processors running for each one of those features. So they pick up this event and recompute this feature based on this new information, put this uh, into the store, and uh, the store is available for, um, for people to, to uh, for, for um, machine learning uh, models to, to retrieve this information. So, so that's, uh, that's how the pre-computation pre works. So it, 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 is, it has wider application, right? Uh, you, you, you can apply it in, in wider uh, spectrum of uh, uses. However, um, there's much, much more work you need to do upfront. You need to know exactly all the, all this, run all these processors, uh, you would say dozens, dozens, if not hundreds of processors for each, each feature, right? Uh, do a lot of computation. And then these processors, all of them are like a distributed systems with its own little, uh, you know, problems. Uh, some containers would fail, some uh, hardware would fail, uh, or, or other, other problems that happened with the system. And, and uh, it, is, it is very non-trivial. Practically, we know that it's not trivial to support system like that. So you need a special kind of expertise of info people to be able to to support and run this system. So it is it is really challenging for people like machine learning engineers to run this. So that's that was a big gap, and that's that's one of the answers to your question of why is it why why is it so hard. Um, part of the reason is that I'm a machine learning engineer. I don't care about your infra. Well, I do care, but, but I, I don't know that much about your infra. And uh, I don't want to spend my time. I, I, you know, I, my, my work is uh, to make models. Why do you, do, do you want me to respond to, to these on-call events uh, in the middle of the night, right? So, <laughs> so this, is, this is part of... Uh, um, uh, Part of uh, uh, difficulty challenges that that are are there, and uh, it it took us a significant time to to figure out that that a we need we need to solve this challenge and b how to solve that. So we can we can go into more detail on that. Awesome, yeah. You know, I think uh, you know definitely great summary of a lot of the challenges of like building real time features um, and. You know, we kind of dug into this a little bit uh, with Rupesh on, hey, are these always useful? Curious to hear about uh, from your own experience, like what were the successes of adding real-time features? You know, maybe, maybe some of the examples of where they worked well. So we have actually had pretty good uh, success with real-time features uh, in several of our recommender systems. Uh, and I'm going to share three examples here. Uh, so in our jobs recommender, uh, we saw a 0.6% increase in job applies uh, and a 20% reduction in dismisses of our job recommendations. Um, and 20%, uh, the 0.6 might seem like a small number, but it actually translates to a very large absolute number if you look at the total amount of job applications that happen on LinkedIn on a daily basis. Uh, in our field recommender, uh, we saw a 0.3% increase in contributors uh, these are members who like, comment, share, or post in the field. Uh, and we also saw a 0.4% increase in revenue from sponsored updates in the field. Uh, and lastly, in our search type ahead recommender, uh, which recommends you autocomplete suggestions, uh, we saw a 0.3% increase in click-through rate. Um, but in general, we observed that the new and less active members benefited the most from these real-time features. Uh, and this was expected because um, these are the users for whom we have the least amount of historical activity data. If I just signed up on LinkedIn and started uh, taking some actions on LinkedIn, there is no historical data. So all that the recommender system can use is the activity that has been uh, observed within the session to be able to personalize your recommendations within the session. So, so in this type ahead example, uh, Demetrius uh, brought in the beginning, uh, we uh, we saw some some improvements. Maybe not enough, but 
I guess we, we, we can work on more. Dude, well, you got me to start posting more. I don't know. It was right around the 2020 uh, period. It's funny because I was in sales and at some point LinkedIn became a way for me to get meetings. So I started, I will say it like it is. I started spamming people on LinkedIn and tried to book meetings to get them to check out the tool that I was selling. Uh, but at some point, someone told me, they said, you know, it's actually better if you just post stuff on LinkedIn and then people will come to you. And so that was a revelation. And I started doing that and I've never looked back since. Uh, luckily, I don't really have anything to sell now, so I can't spam people even if I wanted to. But going back into it and... Uh, looking at these, this idea of, of these real-time features, like, and in this domain, are there any other learnings that you've had? Maybe Sasha, there's something that you want to mention, like with this, with these experiences. Yeah. So, so one thing, um, I wanted to say, um, um, once again, we, we, we talked about it a little bit. Uh, Real-time features are kind of, um, uh, in terms of like a muscle uh, pyramid of uh, needs, uh, they are kind of up there. So uh, Rupesh uh, talked about this. Like, uh, let's, uh, you need to get first basics right, like uh, data flowing into the system and the machine learning's model uh, working and, and, and all that. So after that, uh, when you, when you, at the point where you want to optimize things, that that's where real-time features uh, become very helpful, and they are very um, very useful. Uh, but they come at a cost, and uh, you need to uh, definitely need to um, take this cost into account when you go uh, go go uh, for this development. Um, so that's uh, that's one thing. Um, uh, another thing that uh, I kind of noticed when when we started working on this uh, whole real time, uh, the, the, there's there's uh, this recurring theme of um, like how do uh, we we have this uh, this uh, machine learning systems system, uh, and there are many people who contribute to the system. So there are many hands in this uh, in this uh, pot. And how do we um, make it all work well without people, um, like with, in all this part, with every, everybody um, kind of doing their part of the, uh, of the work? So this is, this is uh, kind of, this is really important. We, we mentioned uh, about like machine learning engineers that care about their, their part of the thing. And then there are application engineers who care about their, their, their part of the thing. And there are infra engineers who, who care about their part of the thing. And they all together kind of tied together into, into this uh, machine learning pipelines or inference pipeline. So this is, uh, uh, this is a very kind of serious, uh, uh, serious and interesting problem that, that uh, you need to solve uh, in, in implementing those machine learning uh, systems. So uh, in one, one little example that we were working on, on uh, uh, the real-time features, like a, a streaming process for real-time features, and, and it was uh, uh, the, uh, the maintenance problem or support uh, maintenance problem that we were talking about. So uh, our streaming team came up with this idea of a managed uh, service. Um, so there is a, they, they, they're building a managed service uh, so that uh, machine learning engineers can run their feature pipelines very, very easily. And, and it is managed by, uh, by, by uh, an infra team in the back end. So this, uh, this kind of separation is, uh, is very important. Uh, there, they also, uh, they talked about this in one of the meetups, so we can, we can put this in the show notes. But that's, uh, that's an uh, interesting development and, uh, and uh, in general separation. Uh, and lastly, I, I love machine learning as uh, coming from software engineering background. I love machine learning um, because um, when you start working on it, it gets you out of uh, your comfort zone very quickly. 
So basically, whatever are your assumptions, uh, you, you, you will likely need to reconsider them. So for example, uh, at LinkedIn, um, LinkedIn is uh, historically uh, more leaned towards Java. So, so like uh, all the applications uh, are, are done in Java. And so we're essentially Java shop, what people say, uh, Java shop. Uh, but uh, with the introduction of machine learning um, and, and the need to, to make a good environment for machine learning engineers, we were, <coughs> uh, were trying to, to, make, uh, to make this environment uh, more, more, make them more efficient in their environment. And then we absolutely need to use Python. So we, uh, we get to uh, like uh, two systems where you know machine learning engineers think they they, they, they program in Python, but actually uh, that translates to systems that run in Java. So uh, whatever is the solution, uh, we we need to think about it. So that's uh, uh, that's one example of uh, of these uh, challenges uh, that that happen in uh, in machine learning, and uh, uh, yeah. The, it's it's an amazing field. I'm uh, really excited to work in it. Yeah, I just want to add one small note. Um, as a machine learning engineer, uh, typically systems that are easy to use are well adopted. Uh, so, for instance, Sasha mentioned that uh, there is always this um, <clears throat> separation of or the boundaries between the work that an AI engineer has to do or an apps engineer, infra engineer has to do. Uh, typically, if you ask an AI engineer or ML engineer to go into uh, the infra domain and try to learn and make some changes there, there is some resistance. But if you make it very easy through, say, a config uh, for them to get access to these real-time features, then the adoption rate is pretty high. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely definitely a great point, um, and it, it's cool to hear about all the the challenges that were solved. Uh, it seems like uh, if I find myself in LinkedIn in the future, I'll have much less frustration. <laughs> uh, but you know, one of one of the things that uh, you you mentioned, uh, sort of uh, uh, offhand, Sasha, um, that I was very interested in. Uh, you talked a little bit about branching. You know, uh, LinkedIn is following a trunk-based development, and uh, it sounds like there was uh, some way that uh, you ended up supporting like branching for machine learning. Love, I would love to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah, so um, so that that is um, that came from a conversation with uh, um, another person you may know, Alex Patry. So he was uh, um, he was ah yeah. Yeah, we had him on here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so he was um, really uh, thinking about how to improve um, uh, productivity of ML engineers. So, what what they were doing, uh, given that we're working in trunk, they were making copies of the same kind of model code uh, in in different directories, uh, all under the same trunk, and. Uh, and uh, uh, using that for for experimentation, so different uh, different kind of variants of the model, and that was an, uh, that had multiple problems. Uh, so we we worked with with our tools team and just talked to them, and uh, it felt felt out of place. So it felt kind of a little bit hacky this uh, this process. So we we thought, can we can we do uh, do any better than that? And then. Um, uh, the guys at the tool, uh, tool, tools team uh, like were, thought about the way to to use branching, use different branches. So what happens is that you you have different experiments on the same model running as a, as a parallel branches, and you are actually able to uh, to deploy from different branches uh, at the same time, and then. And run this uh, uh, this deployment as uh, as an experiment, and then uh, when you are done experimenting, uh, you 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 see the model that that works the best, and uh, the winner you just kind of merge to the uh, to the main track. So that that is that is a very uh, very interesting thing. I I, I think uh, 
uh, it is. Uh, it could be interesting. You know, the, the topic for the conversation. I can get in touch with the, with the people who do that. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a very interesting development, and I think it deserves uh, more uh, um, more people to know about this and and uh, think about apply, applying this in their work. All right, guys. So we've been talking about it a little bit. Real time is very popular. It's a hot topic these days. What are some things that you feel like do not get talked about enough when the discussion of real time comes up? I would say the ease of use typically does not get discussed as much. As I mentioned earlier, uh, <clears throat> as an AI engineer, I want to use a system that is uh, that is easy to use. Uh, I don't, <laughs> or rather, I would not prefer to work or leverage a system uh, where uh, which has its own intricacies or complexities. So I think that is something which, as a community, we need to lay an emphasis on uh, and make sure that whatever system we build is easy to use. Sage advice. Yeah, my, my personal pet peeve is uh, portability. Uh, so um, in, in particular, portability between uh, uh, streaming and uh, batch. So when you uh, define a feature uh, and you, the same definition can work in, in uh, a streaming mode and in a, in a batch mode. Um, so if you don't have this, uh, or regardless, actually, the, you when you when you have uh, um, batch features like features that that you use in training and you features that uh, that you you run in in uh, inference, you need to have a consistency between this uh, two. Otherwise, you know what what are you doing? Otherwise, your machine learning is is actually not not done right. So, uh, how do you achieve this uh, portability is uh, is a big question. Uh, people, I so I there are not yet like very good solutions to that. Uh, people are still working on this. Uh, there there are some some progress with that, uh, but uh, but there is uh, um, there's more to be done. So we this problem that was wasn't solved yet. So tell me straight, Rupesh, does it matter if I put the link in the comments? Will more people see it if I put the link in the comments? That's all I want to know. <laughs> Maybe you should oh, schedule man. coffee chat with the CEO of LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's, he's this, a power user too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this has been great, guys. Thank you so much for coming on here and talking to us about this. Uh, like we mentioned a few times, this is such a hot topic and it's so cool to see how you all have gone through the transition. And I appreciate you sharing that with us. Thank you for having us.